folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. It's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, March the 8th, 2023, and this is episode 32, 63 of the Survival Podcast. It is Wednesday, that means it is interview day. It is now time to bring on my special guest in just a minute. His name is Dwayne Legro. Really cool dude. He's been at the homesteading game for about two years, and he really undersells his knowledge set. He, he really does, even in this interview. As he talks, you realize this man has learned an awful lot in the two years he has been doing homesteading full-time. He's moved out into an area in the Arizona desert where he can be left the hell alone, away from the HOA blue hairs, and he is literally building his homestead from the ground up. If I remember right, it's about 15 acres of land that he has, and it's a harsh environment. It's the Arizona desert, and it's the part of the desert where brutal heat, very dry, very tough conditions in the summer, but you still are not going to be surprised to get snow, ice, and freezing in the winter. Uh, two extremes, the higher part of the Arizona desert. So we'll have him on in just a moment. Before we do, let me remind you about our two sponsors of the day today. Sponsor day number one today is ButcherBox.com, where you can get a giant box of meat right to your front door every single month. Grass-fed beef, pastured pork, pastured poultry, uh, great wild-caught seafood, and a ton more available. Check them out today at ButcherBox.com. Remember, MSB members, if you sign up for ButcherBox, make sure you use a discount code when you sign up. You'll get $10 off a month forever. $120 a year off your Butcher Box subscription just by being also a member of the Survival Podcast Members Support Brigade. And real quick, that is how we mainly pay our bills around here is the MSB. We have some other things we do, but without the MSB, I could not bring the show to you five days a week, uh, almost every week of the year other than some vacations and speaking engagements. We have shows for you constantly bringing you people from experts at the highest level to people just doing their thing like Dwayne today. All the information we bring you, it could not happen with MSB. So if you've not become a member yet, do consider it. If your membership has expired, you already know what a good deal it is. Sign back up. Next up today, JM Bullion. You know, guys, I talk about Bitcoin a lot, and I I do believe that is one of the keystones to your investment and your wealth assurance strategy. I've never stopped recommending silver and gold either. Uh, silver and gold have a history of over 5,000 years of being used as money. I don't see that changing anytime soon. JM Bullion is the place to stack silver with free shipping, great pricing, and discounts for MSB members. They've supported the show that you're listening to right now for 10 years. 10 years is a sponsor in podcasting. Free shipping on all orders. Better pricing than Monix and Atmex. Great personal relationship with the president of the company, why would you buy your silver or gold from anywhere but J.M. Bullion? And they have some really cool stuff as well. With that, let's go ahead and drop on into the live feed and hear from Dwayne. And we are live, folks. Today we are going to be talking about self-sufficiency as a lifestyle. And uh, we have our special guest with us today, Dwayne Legro. And uh, Dwayne, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks for having me, Jack. Glad to have you. Real quick reminder to everybody in the audience, if you have questions for us or talking points you want us to hit toward the end of our conversation, make sure that you put at least the first couple um, 
couple words of your comment in the live stream in all caps. That will bring it to my attention. I'll start for the end. And also remember that I will never contact you in any way for any private or special information and comments here on YouTube or anywhere else. That is probably some scammer trying to get your private information from you. I happen to put that PSA at the beginning of every episode, but I have to do it because they try to do it. Anyway, Dwayne, man, I'm really happy to have you here today. Can you give people just a little bit of background about your life? I know you're a homesteader now, but let's go back before you're a homesteader. And, you know, what what, what did you do professionally? How did you get into that? Just who, who is Dwayne before he's a homesteader? Well, I grew up in Northeast Ohio. Uh, my dad's actually from Pennsylvania, uh, Cambria County, I think it is. Um, so I grew up there, uh, Amish country, and I moved out to Tucson, Arizona in 97. I have notes here. So I'm bad with dates. But so 97, I moved to Tucson. Um, I got a job at a prison working as a CEO there. And at the time, I trained mixed martial arts. It wasn't called mixed martial arts back then. It was uh, no hold barred or, you know, it started with jujitsu. So mm -hmm. I was doing that while I was working there. And eventually I got into fighting as a side side gig uh, while I was working at the prison. And then I eventually married my wife, who I'm still married to now. And... About 2005, I started, uh, I got into welding. I went to community college and um, learned to weld. It was something I always wanted to do. So I hit the ground running right after that, and I was welding ever since. I went and did just contract work mostly and, you know, had all kinds of weird jobs, but I had to travel for that and, you know, work for restaurants, uh, hotels, any outfit that needed welding done. That's what I did. So um, I've been working on my own pretty much. This whole time, I've never stopped. Um, and then, let's see, I have here about 2006 is when I actually started uh, getting into gardening. And that's, uh, you know, growing up in Northeast Ohio, I was surrounded by farming and never, you know, when you're a kid, you just want to get away from it. So, you know, I, I really didn't pay any attention to it back then. And then I, you know, I started getting kind of a little depressed because I couldn't fight anymore. And, you know, didn't know what to do with myself, really. So I just had to get a hobby. So I, I got into gardening. And that's that's how it started. So, yeah. Yeah. And gardening is often the gateway drug into full on homesteading. Yes, sir. What led you to the conclusion that like you wanted to do more than just have a backyard garden. I mean, 20 years ago, I was in regular old corporate America, miserable fat guy that made a lot of money. And I had my little garden. And one day I decided, like. I get so much more from this than I do from that, that I want a pathway to this is what I do. And and what was that moment for you and, and, and how did it progress from there? Well, um, I joke about it, but it wasn't a joke at the time. Um, I lived in a neighborhood that, you know, we had an HOA, those mm -hmm. three letters. Um, and, you know, why, why we, bought, we lived in an HOA neighborhood and lived there so long is, you know, I, I just didn't think about it at the time because I wasn't into it that much. Um, but once I started getting into this lifestyle, I actually was listening to podcasts mostly. And that's that's how I picked all this up. I mean, podcasts, man, they saved my day most of the time because I was always working, you know, remotely welding with my hands. So you want to listen to something while you're doing it. And I always had had something in my ear. So, you know, you get tired of music. So I was listening to podcasts. 
I stumbled across this podcast. I mean, you've been around for a long time. And then, you know, there's other podcasts I would listen to about gardening. And so I said, you know, this is really cool. And I just, I just kind of went down the rabbit hole, like multiple rabbit holes with it. And the HOA itself is kind of what drove me to where I am now, because it really just, it pissed me off. You know, like I, I realized what I had done to myself by living in this, this type of neighborhood, you know, where it's like, I never had problems with my neighbors. I always had good, good relationship with my neighbors, but you know, it started when I wanted to put a high tunnel up in my backyard and you know, the high tunnel to keep the shade cloth higher off of the plants, you know, you get it too close. It's going to bake them, especially out in the desert. Sure. And, uh, you know, you got the notice saying I'm not allowed to do that. And, uh, you know, that was a problem for me. And then, you know, of course, I started getting chickens. You're not supposed to have chickens. So, I, I, you know, I just basically felt like a criminal, you know, in my own backyard. And it, it just, you know, I had enough of it. So we started looking for land and we're listening to a lot of podcasts about buying land and found something in a county. Um, you know, it's in uh, southern Arizona, Cochise County, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard a lot about it anyway. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because uh, out here, you know, we have this thing called the owner builder opt out. So that's that's uh, that's how it all started for me. And that's how I got here. You know, the HOA. Yeah. Yeah. I'm asking people right now to come up with what HOA stands for. Wrong answers only. We're getting some creative answers here. <laughs> so I was going to ask you about Arizona. So I guess the biggest reason you're in Arizona now is because you were already there. Uh, Arizona does have kind of like guppy neighborhoods. I I used to work for a company that was headquartered in Phoenix, so I'm pretty familiar with that area. They also have some areas where people will just leave you the heck alone. When you were looking for a place where you'd be left alone, did you look beyond your state's borders or did you try to find something close to where you already were where you could also be left the hell alone? Well, I, I did look beyond, but the thing is, my wife has a professional career. She's a research scientist here. And so, you know, it's kind of we kind of had to find something that was feasible for, for her to still be able to do her job. And um, so so I had to find a county that was close enough, but had less restrictions in the county I was in. So that's that's what led me to Cochise County. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, what's your journey been like so far? I mean, you really went all in on this, what, about two years ago? Yep. Yep. About two years ago. Yeah. It'll be two years I've lived out here this coming July. So, so yeah, it's a, it'll be on going on two years. It, you know, it's been good. It's been challenging. I'm not going to lie. Uh, the way I'm doing it, you know, I, I, like you said, I went all in and I've been spending most of my time building, building infrastructure and learning, building techniques uh, I'm about to I, I just started on my house now so you know it's real busy I'm doing this full time I um, set aside welding and you know we saved some money before we came out here and uh, save, save a lot of money but you know getting to the point now where you know I, I needed to start a farm here because the idea was I would start a farm and start making my money by farming so uh, so it's been challenging. I'm not going to lie, but it's been very rewarding. It's the most rewarding thing I've done, period. So, I, you know, I really, I really love it. And uh, learn a lot about yourself, you know, when you, when you try to do this from scratch from the ground up. So what's, what, what's your problem like? Like just what's the basic like size of it and what have you? This is uh, 16 acres total. Okay. And we're out uh, where we're at. Um, you know, there's really nothing around us here. There is a train at the end of my property. Um, so that's, 
it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's hard to get used to initially, but you know, once you're out here, it's, you know, I don't even notice it, but um, it, it kind of keeps people away too. So it's kind of nice to have that at the end, at the edge of our property. Um, you know, we also have like state trust land further up. So there's, there's really not much around, but that that's my little parcel, like 16 acres, which is plenty. You know, it's, it's good space. It, it is kind of a harsh environment though. So like, what's the toughest thing about homesteading for you where you're at? Well, where I'm at, um, you know, when we looked at land initially, we looked into places that had a well, places that had, you know, electricity running to the, to the parcel. Um, but the zoning specifically that I was looking for, because, you know, as you know, when you're looking for land, depending on what state you're in and county, you know, it's, it's all about zoning, you know, about what you can do without somebody bothering you. And yeah. uh, so out here, you know, the, the magic RU4 is what I was looking for. And um, so when we have this, though, you know, we don't have electricity running to the property. We don't have a well. And so I don't have water out here except for the water that I catch or, or that I haul out here. So water is definitely the number one thing that's the most important thing out here by far. Second, it's, it's, <laughs> it's interesting because I almost asked you what you do for water. Before mm-hmm. I ask you that question, I'm like, I better ask that question for it first because I bet you water is going to be the answer. Yes, sir. Evalue a property. Water access structure is the first thing we look at. And mm-hmm. so you're in a you're a rain catch and water haul situation. And not only do you not have a well, I imagine it's kind of like a lot of the places out in West Texas. The land's really affordable and do anything you want. But it's not just you don't have a well. Uh, it's not really feasible to put one in in a lot of places. Yeah, it's it's so expensive. We 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 did the math on it, and I said, you know, I, I'd be better off just building my own infrastructure, you know, to to capture the rain than the cost of the well. And um, you know, and also I've stumbled across something by accident, and I actually heard a, a fellow on your podcast already talking about this because he's doing the same thing. I think it was uh, Dan Hall. Is that his name? Right? Yeah. He's, he's in Texas. Yeah, but um, basically, I had a hole dug. Um, long story short, I had this big hole dug and it was going to ultimately be a root cellar, an underground root cellar. And it was like a 20 foot by 20 foot, like six and a half feet deep hole in the ground. And it's on the edge of the property. Now, you know, as you've said more than once on your podcast that, you know, land has a slope, no matter if you can see it or not. Well, on mine, you can definitely see it. And, uh, it was on the side of a hill. And when we got hit with our first monsoons out here, that hole filled up with water like really quick. Hmm. And so basically after a couple of times of that hole filling up with water, you know, a little light bulb went off in my head and I said, you know what the hell with the root cellar right now is like, this is great for, uh, you know, like a stock pond. So, I mean, it's 14 plus thousand gallons of water in here, you know? And so, so that, that actually was a big, big help and that was like like i said something i discovered by accident and now you know i'm setting up now the infrastructure for that like i said i haven't been in doing this that long so that you know this is a marathon not a sprint that's another thing i've learned you know this, this things take a long time to do you know you, you just can't snap your fingers and everything's done you know so so now i have that hole in the ground i pump the water out i've used the swimming pool to keep some of that water until I figure out exactly how I want to set that up 
permanently, you know, mm-hmm. probably a couple water tanks. And then, of course, you got to do filtration and all that. So so that's one way to capture water. You can capture it so much quicker that way than you can with, uh, you know, um, roofs, you know, because, you know, you look at the amount of infrastructure you have to set up to collect that amount of water, uh, you know, on a short rain. I mean, you're talking tens of thousands of square foot of space, you know, where the yeah. land just captures it, you know, <laughs> immediately. So, yeah. so mm-hmm. We have a commenter making a comment on that right now. Much as I like to talk about not eating a lot of land, sometimes you need the land just for water capture. I think that's that's valid there. And, you know, you you start thinking about what you've done kind of by accident, like with intention, an excavator for a week. And you can dig a lot of holes and do a lot of interconnecting swales. And you can make a lot of basically like wet weather ponds that you can pump from. I think your hardest thing out there would be not only would you get a lot of evaporation, but you probably don't have clay to work with. So it's a true sealed situation may be more difficult, but long-term you could probably put a lot of potholes in. Uh, and then those, not only do they hold water that can be pumped, but they also seep water slowly after they're infiltrated. So there's, there's a ton that could be done for a couple grand and, mm-hmm. and learning how to use an excavator. I would just make sure that you know what you want to do with it before it gets there. You got everything laid out. Um, what is your annual rainfall like? Are you like around, I'm thinking 10, 14 inches a year, something like that. Yep. Right. Hit it right on the head about that. Yep. 10 okay. to 14. Mm-hmm. This year it's, it was a lot more, but I, I don't, I don't know how much it was to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing with a desert is you're designing to a flood. You don't get a ton of rain, but you get all of it about, like you use the word monsoon and people don't often make that connection monsoon and desert, but that's what happens. You get all your rain in a couple of events a year and then I'll see you next year. Mm-hmm. And so you got to capture as much as you can. So I, I am not surprised to hear you say it's the toughest thing about the lifestyle you've chosen. If you were going to teach somebody homesteading now with two years under your belt and somebody came to you, came out there to Cochise County, mm-hmm. bought a land next to you and said, I want, I want some advice. Other than that, <laughs> What might you tell them first? Well, I would, if, if you're saying they already bought the property or they're going to. Yeah, yeah, they, they bought the land next to you. They're, they're in it now. They're, they're like you were two years ago. Well, I, I would probably ask him a lot of questions first because, you know, I have to ask, like, what's your, you know, what, what kind of skill sets are you bringing out here? Um, what is your plan? You know, first of all, do you have a plan of action? I, I was planning this for years before I came out here. So I, I would ask, I would just ask some questions uh, to the person initially and say, you know, do you have a plan? Um, you know, if, if they want to hear my, my advice, I would, I would definitely tell them that they need to consider what they're going to do for water, electricity. Uh, electricity's big. I mean, you can't live today without electricity. You know, you, you have to have it. So, so what's your plan for solar? What's your budget? that's a big one budget you know i mean <laughs> money's money you know you need it you need it so so i would i would probably start by asking questions and uh just snowball from there gotcha what do you think though in general if you had to put your finger on it person starting a new homestead where you are somewhere else doesn't matter what's kind of like maybe the first couple projects to get things in motion yeah um you need storage, you know, you need storage. You need a place to put your stuff to protect it from the elements. That was a big issue that I had initially out here is that I didn't have a Connex yet. And, um, 
and a lot of my stuff got ruined outside because I had it sitting outside. So I would say first step, build build a couple or or buy a couple sheds or or a connex or a shipping container. You're going to need it. That that would be the very first thing I would do. And then right after that, I would say uh, get something to store water because you're going to need that too. Yeah, and what do you recommend? I mean, we talked about the hole in the ground, but I mean, there's a lot that can be gained from one big poly tank. What do you what do you what do you think in in that regard? Because I'm spoiled. I bitch about it being dry out here, and it, it and mainly it's because I have like this much dirt and then rock. Mm -hmm. It's really not that bad. It's just a bad year here is really bad for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I just picked up a couple 1500 gallon poly tanks and, and threw in some gutters. And, you know, any given moment, I've got an extra 3000 gallons of water. And even in a bad year, I'm still going to get a quarter inch here and a half inch there on that big roof. And but th there may be a different approach that you're you would advocate with water storage that, than what I'm saying. Well, no, I mean, I think I think that's a good way to go. Honestly, that's what most people do, you know, for that. Uh, the thing I would say that you can probably get away if you're on a tight budget, um, you know, those tanks can get ex a little expensive, especially out here, because like, as you stated, out here, the problem is the water all comes at once. So, you know, you got to have this huge amount of storage to be able to, if you want to last the whole year, you know, mm -hmm. you know, initially you're going to start off with what you can afford. Um, there's this place in Tucson that the guy actually gets all those um, IBC totes, you know, the food grade ones, and he sells them after he, he, he basically contracts with these companies. They store whatever in them. He makes sure that they're food safe. And you can go there and you can basically get those for less than a dollar a gallon for those oh. you know, storage. So. So you can string together, you know, IDC totes. Uh, the IDC totes are nice because you can move them around the property. You can string them together, uh, preferably the ones that have the metal uh, framing around them. I don't know if you've seen those uh, aluminum shells yeah. on them. Yep. Yeah, those are ideal. The nice thing about the poly tanks you're talking about is that, you know, you don't have to deal with algae and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, the only thing about those IBCs is, you got to cover them up and sometimes, you know, you end up doing so much work, getting those things ready. You're better off just getting a poly tank. So, you know, it, it really just depends on what your time frame is and what, how much work you want to do, you know, to yeah. Do it. but, but yeah, I mean, you can customize those things. That's what I like about them. Yeah. I do like the modularity of them and I changed my mind and you can move a piece of what you were doing somewhere else instead of the whole thing. And mm -hmm. it also, we're back to location. So like, I imagine it's a, it's a bit of a trip for you to get something like a 1500 gallon poly tank where I, I can run down a tractor supply and mm -hmm. when they're empty, they're light as heck. I can roll one up on my truck, throw a ratchet strap over it and be back here in, in 30 minutes and it'll cost me 800 bucks. Right. So that right. Changes, like it always changed. That's why I said, you know, maybe in your location, things are different because I find a lot happens on the internet where somebody says, Oh, just do this or Oh, just do that. You don't live where that guy lives. You don't know what it's like there. And watching YouTube videos is great. I learn a lot from it, podcasting as well. But you don't know until you do. And that's, yeah. that's one of my biggest pet peeves, honestly. It's like, you know, you see these homesteading YouTube channels. And, and you know, you, you, I know you probably talked about them before. But just some of them are good. I mean, but, you know, I can tell the ones that aren't really living the lifestyle. You know, like like or, or people that, like you said, give advice online about things that you just you just have no idea, you know, because, you know, you don't live in a desert. So, yeah. you know, and you live in the desert, 
like I'm in the desert, you know, I'm not in a home homeowners association in the desert. I'm in the desert. So yeah, it, it takes a while to get stuff here. Um, you know, poly tanks are good practical advice. So, I mean, that's the yeah. way, that's still the way most people do it out here. They work, they work well for everybody. So do the IBCs, you know, and that's another mm-hmm. thing. Like I can get IBCs honestly for way less because we probably have more resource to pull from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen a lot of cool things done with them too. I've seen people, put one up on a, uh, an elevated tower, but they want the water over there in the poly tank. And there's enough time differential for that gravity flow by that elevation to move that water underground and then up into that other tank. There's, there, there's so much you can do. Cause if you stick a 1500 gallon tank up on a tower, you better damn well know how to build a freaking tower. That's all I'm saying. That's a, that's a 300 pounds is a lot of weight, but 1500 pounds of water. Yeah, That's yeah. A whole new world is screwing around with forces many people do not understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's what I said. I mean, you you know, I feel like everybody that starts this. I mean, because there's a, there's a lot of people in this county that do what I'm doing. So you know, I'm not the only one out here doing this. There's there's actually quite a bit of people for for the population out here that are doing maybe not exactly the way I'm doing it, but they're you know they're doing this type of lifestyle because of the relaxed billing codes out here and things like that. So. So, yeah, I try to, to, you know, see what other people are doing, too, and just kind of, but, but yeah, I mean, I think everybody that comes out here comes out with a certain set of skills, whatever your background is, you know, is, is you know, to say, you know, a ha- to, a ha- to a hammer, everything looks like a nail is what it is. So, for me, I'm a welder, so I look at something, and the first thing that goes in my head is, how can I weld something together for that, you know? And yeah, yeah. So maybe, maybe someone else may not think that way. A carpenter probably thinks differently. But yeah, that's I like tinkering with that kind of stuff, you know, sometimes to my own detriment. But I, I like messing around with, you know, experimenting with structures and things like that. So, yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good that's a good call out to always be developing like at least one or two new good skill sets a year. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, a person that can't weld, they look at you and go, damn, I wish I could do what he does. But, but then you might look at somebody else with some other skill set, like really good at operating heavy equipment. If you haven't developed that yet and think, man, I wish I could do that. And the more of those things to develop, then the more you're pulling out from the Swiss Army knife. So nail, hammer, screw, freaking impact driver, right? Like thinking that way. Uh, yeah. yeah, I bet there's people out there thought like I thought he was gonna say screwdriver. No, that is better. Yes, it is. Right. <laughs> let let technology let you live a better life, man. Um, yes. yes. What's your favorite thing about homesteading? Ooh, my favorite thing so far is that. I get to learn, like you said, I'm always being stimulated by something. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm immersed in this lifestyle. I've taken it to a little more of the extreme, I guess. And, and to me, there's so much to do that if I get bored and tired doing something, I can just stop that and go to something else because they're like, as you know, there's just a plethora of things, you know, like I haven't even started permaculture, you know, and that's its own I mean, that's its own school right there, you know, so there's so much to, to learn there. So so I guess that's my favorite thing is that I there's so many different things to do that I can, you know, stop this if I'm getting tired of doing that and then just go over to that and, and learn there. Always learning. I'd agree with that. I would also say like another big thing for me is the animals that we have involved in our homestead. I've been a tropical fish keeper all my life, and I've always loved about tropical fish. You come home, you had a bad day, a shitty day, you know, you had to fight traffic or whatever. You get home, you look at your fish tank. It's not only beautiful, you look at the fish, they don't give a shit. 
They don't care if the price of gas went up. They don't care if there's a traffic jam. They don't care if there's going to be a tornado that's going to destroy their fish tank tomorrow because they don't know. So they just do their thing. And then when I got like geese and ducks and all, that's them on steroids. You know, you're having a bad day or something. You look out the window and there's a goose chasing a duck and you can't not smile. There's just something about having animals in your life one way or another that just improves it. Yep, yep. Yeah, I have, I have a lot of chickens. I, I have a couple goats, but uh, I haven't really gotten too many animals yet. Um, you know, I kind of put that on hold until I had more stuff built out here. But, but Which is yeah. a good idea, by the way. Like, livestock does not come before livestock infrastructure unless you want to hate yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I learned that with the goats. I mean, of all the things to get, two goats. Of all the things to get before you have infrastructure, like, like yeah, mistake. The Satan animal. They're wonderful animals and they're also little Satans at the same time. It's just Yeah, they're they're the worst when it comes to that. I mean, they've definitely put my welding to the test already. You know, I've 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 had to come up with some I mean their their little area looks like a prison complex, you know, because they it's just like you know, I have to put I put a pallet fence around them, but then on top of that I put another three foot, you know, um that what's that no climb fencing you know oh yeah yeah i put that around it and then uh there's some spiral barbed wire around it too because at first i was um leaving them out there for a couple days at a time and i didn't want the coyotes to you know try to get out whatever so i didn't know what their capabilities were so yeah Yeah, their capabilities are pretty much like whatever you do challenge accepted yeah exactly so yeah the the goats were really a mistake. I mean, that was something I would tell somebody. I'd be like, "Don't, don't mess with goats, man." Until you, until you're well established, because yeah. they, they have broken some things and they're they're a pain in the ass, man. I'm not gonna lie, but but I do like them. Like you said, it's just they're, yeah. they're just pets. You know, I don't even I don't do nothing with them. But but yeah, I'm still learning. You know, Jack. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I'm only a couple years in this. You know, immersed in this lifestyle. But you know. I still feel like kind of an amateur, you know, some things like will make you rethink, you know, what you thought you knew. And, and, you know, I try to stay humble that way. And I do try to listen to podcasts all day. And that's the beauty of these podcasts is, man, you can put something in your ear and you can be learning nonstop, you know, while you're working. And that's what I love about it. So, you know, I'll bookmark something that uh, interests me or I'll hear somebody say something and I have a little notepad on my phone and I'll stop when I'm doing working and I'll pop it in there. And then later on, I'll do the research on it, you know, and that's how I've been doing it. So it's, it's a really good, it's awesome what you do, honestly. So, I enjoy work like that myself where I can, I can have my brain stimulated two times, right? And that's why I love, I mean, we do the video feeds and all, but most people still listen to us on audio and I like audio because it's that powerful. I can't really sit down and watch a video right. while I'm digging a trench for my new irrigation system that I'm installing this week. Right. But I can listen to another podcaster and mm-hmm. continue my education while I'm doing physical labor. And, and that's also, I think, one of my favorite things about uh, homesteading is physical labor component. Because mm-hmm. I, 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 I used to train in martial arts myself and I used to go oh. to the gym and all. But I have to tell you, I never really enjoyed working out. I enjoyed how I felt when I was done. Right. There is an endorphin kind of like thing going on. Right. Yes, but when yes. I'm doing it, I'm always like, damn, I don't really want to do this. And it was because the only thing I was doing was physical conditioning. Right. But when I'm digging a trench, when I'm cutting down lumber and I'm making material with it or I'm making biochar out of it or I'm hauling stuff 
and I'm building a, or I'm, I'm, I'm using some construction skills and building raised beds or something, I'm doing physical labor, but I'm also accomplishing something. Because I don't think our ancestors were like, hey, you see that boulder over there? I think I'm going to lay on my back and push it up and down 20 times so that I can get bigger. They said, hey, where does that boulder need to go? They got it there, and then they went and did something else. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm 100% with you. My wife and I talk about that because she has been going to the gym since we've been married. And the reason she does it is because she has a more of a desk job where she's, you know, she's like, I have to work out. She's like, otherwise I go nuts because I'm sitting in, in an office or a lab or wherever. And she's got to she's got to figure out what to do with that energy at the end of the day. I'm with you. I never went to the gym just for the sake of working out. Anytime I was in a gym, it was because I was training for a fight or I was, you know, trying to get better at something. But I, yeah. I never really just did it for the sake of it. I agree 100 percent. Very utilitarian on that aspect. You know, I don't have the energy to waste right now. You know, so it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, you're saying she has to do something at the end of the day to deal with her energy. I think at the end of the day, only I need to deal with my energy is have a beer and sit on the porch, especially this time of year when the weather's perfect, and watch the birds run around. I'm good. My energy's spent. Like, as soon as we're done and I get this edited and out, I'm outside, unless it starts pouring rain, because I don't want to open a trench in the rain, and I'm literally digging that trench I'm talking about. So right. when I'm done trenching for freaking four hours a day by hand and rock, I, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, 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 exactly. And that's what I do. I mean, I'm, I'm doing the bags right now, filling those sandbags, and – and uh, you were in the army, right? Like yep. you were, yeah. So did you? Do you guys ever fill sandbags as a? Oh God, yeah. So <laughs> I'll do the quick the quick aside story right now on the sandbags. So the only time we did a lot, we did sandbags when we did some convoys in parts of Central America where there was some risk of maybe some bad actor setting off like an IED or something. Okay. And, but that was just a few, and you would do enough to cover the floor of your truck. Mm-hmm. When we went to Honduras, though, we deployed for six months. Well, I was part of the initial team that went in and we set up all the tents for everybody. And this was like a 600 man deployment. So this is a, like, there's like six, six guys to a GP medium. And uh-huh. then there's, you know, all your facilities, tents and the officer stands. There's a lot of tents. So we went in with the engineers and they built these uh, plywood decks. And then we put the, the GP mediums up over the decks. So that was really nice. But we drove in a bazillion of those big uh, square peg um stakes that you hold the gp mediums up with with sledgehammers we get that all done we're supposed to be done in three weeks we were done in like two so we have a week of just basically like screw off time Mm -hmm. and guys are looking for things to do so one of the couple guys are playing frisbee the one dude runs catches the frisbee trips over the stake falls and the other uh, lands on another stake it goes right through his cheek oh shit now this is a blunt instrument this is not sharp so this is a nasty wound the medics oh, wow. stitch him up as best they can, put him on a bird, send him off to the, the base that's like, you know, a helicopter right away. And then the colonel comes back to us across the radio and says, I want a sandbag on every stake. Oh. So instead of don't play freaking sports around the tents. So yeah, we yeah. spent the next week filling sandbags and putting a sandbag over every stake, which when the rains came actually ended up probably being a good thing anyway. But yeah, that. so I'm done with sandbags forever. Yeah, you can yeah. sandbags if you want to, but anyway, you did build a bag house, right? Yeah, that's what's behind me in this picture. If you guys, if you guys can't see it, but yeah, I did build a, a sandbag house. Um, it's not actually a house; it's just an outbuilding. But um, yeah, okay. I'm experimenting with it to 
because I like the idea of the thermal mass, you know, so being out in the desert. So, um, so yeah, I, we, I fill, I fill these sandbags up. These are going to be part of my house is yeah, that video is perfect because I've set up this little rig for my tractor where I can basically, I, I build a sifter. So there's a pile of dirt. Remember that hole I told you about where the water's in yep. there's a big pile of dirt next to it. So that pile of dirt, you know, it's just sitting there. And so I decided to sift that dirt that you're looking at right there. And I sift it um, on top of that, uh, that sifter there that I made. And then I have these little trolleys for those bags that I set uh. up. Yeah. So right there, you see me staging them and I'm not done with this yet. I'm actually still working out a couple kinks in it, but basically I'm going to have how spoiled you are. You have a front end loader. <laughs> yes. Sir. Yeah. Yeah. I got tired of doing stuff with the shovel, you know? So yeah, I got this old 1968 Ford, uh, 3,500, man. And that, that thing still runs. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's the process there. I mean, here I'm doing it manually showing that you can do it both ways, but, but yeah, I stage those bags underneath the sifter and then the tractor just pours the dirt on top of that sifter and then it falls into the bags. So basically once I have all that set up, you know, some of it, not all of it, but a portion of it can be automated to where I can just fill those bags up with the tractor instead of doing it with the shovel. So, so that's what I'm working on now, but that's yeah, awesome. yeah, lots of dirt. Um, and I like the sandbags. Uh, there's people out here that are doing like hyper Adobe. I don't know if you've heard of that or, or, uh, super Adobe Cal earth. If you've ever heard of that, that, uh, where they're using the tubes to build the houses. Have you seen those? They're just, no. so they're, they're basically poly tubes. You, know, you picture a sandbag, but a continuous one and they fill oh, okay. them. I know what you're talking about. Those are cool. Yeah, yeah. So there's actually uh, people doing that out here. Um, I'm kind of I'm doing the sandbags, um, you know, which is a little different. Most of the people building houses here are doing hyper adobe or super adobe. So what I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing the earth bags. So so I like these because of the mobility of them, because, you know, yeah. like yeah, I got a giant pile of dirt over there that I don't want there. And I, I want to do something with it so I can fill the bags over there and move them where I want. So. The other method is more stationary. Like you have to be in that spot. You can't move those around. So that's very cool. Um, let me ask you a question real quick. Um, yes, the building you build, it is an outbuilding. It's probably no climate control in it. Is there a, uh, a thermal uh, advantage to it? Does it stay cooler than, let's say, if it was a tough shed or something like that? Does it stay warmer in winter without really having a lot of help? Yes. Yeah, so yes and no. Um, I will say this. So I've had, that's one of the reasons I built this because I wanted to experiment and I wanted to see for myself before I invested in, in fully building a house this way. Sure. Because like you said, you read things on the internet, you watch videos, but you know, I don't even know what I can trust anymore. So I said, you know what, the only way to really know is if I build one of these structures myself and then I can do the temperature, um, you know, charts myself. So I have a little board in there where I write down the temps in there every month, the beginning of the month, middle of the month, end of the month. And what I found is, yes, the temperatures are much more consistent in this building. Like right now, for example, it's at 56 degrees in there, whether it's 20 degrees in the morning or it's 75 degrees in the day, the temperature stays the same in there. So okay. that, that part's cool. However, where that works against you is come summertime, you know, when, when the 
soil tents and the ground tents because this is also partially in the ground so it's actually three feet in the ground as well so so once the the soil tents warm up this thing almost acts as a mirror to that so i can tell like roughly what the soil temps are within five degrees or so so in that middle of the summer in this building it's about 85 degrees with no ac in it so which is still pretty cool you know because you know it's over 100 degrees outside and uh so the consistency is nice so what i think i'm going to end up doing with this is i'm going to grow mushrooms in this thing because there's different kinds of mushrooms as you know that you can grow at different temperatures and i'm going to use those temperature charts to say okay well this time of the year I'm going to grow this particular type of mushroom because this is the temperature sweet spot for that. Smart. Yeah, so so I think I'm going to do that, but that it's all a work in progress, and you know. But that's like you know winter, spring, summer, fall mushrooms. That's that's actually really cool, and I would think that if you did enough of it, you'd probably have a pretty good market out there for local mushrooms because there's probably not a lot of competition. Yeah, and I don't I don't eat mushrooms very much, so I and I wouldn't yeah. eat up all the profits, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I would be getting high on my own supply, so to say, with mushrooms. I'm a pretty big fiend with mushrooms. Yeah. Uh, if you could do it there, then maybe I need to start working on a way to do it here because it's, you know, our summers are like 13% humidity when it's a humid day. So it yeah. it, it just is not good mushroom. But if you had something like that, mm-hmm. uh, then you've got a, a kind of different scenario. I guess the other thing would be like if you did build a dwelling out of that, Whatever you use to cool, you're in the same scenario, though. Once you cool the space, it's much easier to maintain the temperature that yep. you've used that energy to create. Or heating would be a lot easier, except, you know, you got, I'm sure there's, all you need is a wood stove, man. I'm in the desert. Do you see a forest? You know, like, that, you're back to those people. They don't, well, just have somebody deliver it. Oh, okay, from where? You know, California? Right. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, luckily for me, I do have an area of, of the parcel that is over by those tracks that has some old growth mesquite trees over there that nobody nobody's touched you know the cows haven't got to them or nothing so so i can go over there and actually yeah i could use a lot of that wood I, in fact i've been listening to your stuff about biochar which i don't know much about other than what i've been listening to um i want to get into that but is mesquite a good wood for biochar it's a beautiful one for everything, and I would be using the components that don't make good cooking or firewood, you know, the smaller pieces. Uh-huh. And I think the biggest thing I would say is that's a resource, right? So mm-hmm. you don't ever want to abuse a resource. You want to use a resource. And the beautiful thing about mesquite, unless you're trying to get rid of it, is it coppices beautifully. <clears throat> so any living tree, I would be very careful as to the time of year okay. that I took from it. So that it has the best chance of recovery. So if we're going to go under surgery, we want anesthesia, right? I don't want to have surgery on me while I'm awake. That sucks. So your dormancy in your winter would be when to take. Okay. Think about how you take it because it'll cough us back. I mean, you can, this is what people don't understand. People think if you cut a tree, you've harmed it. If you do it right and you time it right, a mm-hmm. coppice or a, a coppice is to the ground. And I would say probably pollarding is more efficient in your situation where you're, you know, head, chest, height somewhere in there. I like about just below my shoulder height because okay. when the limbs come back and I want to take more off, it's real easy to work a chainsaw this high up. Right, right. right. And so you actually extend the life of a tree. There's trees that, you know, have an expected expected life of a hundred years in coppice, like managed coppice situations that are a thousand years old. Oh, wow. 
because every time you take and that tree, you kind of reboot the stem cells of the tree. I think they're called mesostatic cells or something like that. But if you've ever seen a tree that's been topped over and over and over again, it gets this kind of gnarly looking burl where it grows back. Yeah. Yeah. That's the stem cells of the plant. I learned that from Nick Ferguson. So oh, you wow. can take from that forever if you don't overtake and you 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 time your take to the right time. Because if you go cutting a tree in the desert in August, you know, that's like operating on an old patient without anesthesia with tools from the Civil War. He's probably going to die. But wow. if you do it in the dormant period and you think about what you take and you like, I take from this group this year and that group next year, then you've got a skilled neurosurgeon working on a young, healthy patient with a good anesthesiologist, and that guy's probably going to live a long, healthy life. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's that's. And did you have that guy on uh, one of your podcasts? You said Nick. Uh, oh, Nick Ferguson. He's on my expert council. He's on almost every week. Okay, okay. We got him booked. He's coming back on to talk about uh, fodder trees and biochar uh, in another in a couple months, I guess. Oh, cool. Well, I'll keep it on. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's the kind of stuff. That's what I mean. Like. You know, I catch this stuff from podcasts and I, you know, and that's what makes me have the the light bulb. I mean, I don't know how many younger people you have listening to this, but, you know, I would say, I mean, you guys have no idea what it was like for us growing up versus now, you know, with information. I mean, we didn't have podcasts, you know, I didn't have, I mean, the only way you learn something is if somebody in your area knew how to do it and you had to trust that that person knew what they were talking about. And you couldn't really. You didn't know they could be a dumbass if you didn't know they were a dumbass, right? Like you just did yeah. what they told you, right? Yeah. yeah. Look at how many of those stupid old wives' tales we grew up with, man. And it just, you know, we 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 just believed it, and you know, no one, we had no way to fact check any of the shit other than you know we had these 1973 Encyclopedia Botanica, you know, set. That was our we were ten years old when we were using them, right? Like, right, right. That was our research, you know. So it's like, man, people have no idea. I mean, what I'm doing right now wouldn't even be possible without that, without those resources. So yeah, that's the yeah. sense of community that you talk about a lot, and saying that, you know, I may not have a lot of people out here that I'm around because I'm by myself for weeks at a time sometimes, but. To be able to tap into this type of thing and say, all right, I need information, you know, and then I can listen to people doing what I'm doing. And, you know, wow, that's just like really cool. You know, I can get I can get somebody who's really good at something teaching me something. So. So, yeah, the younger people, they just don't even get it. It's like, man, this is amazing. Like when I set my solar up out here, for example, I. You know, I've always been scared of electricity, even though I weld. And part of the reason is because I weld, I've been scared of electricity, you know, because I've been shocked before. And so when I wanted to set up my own solar, it was kind of one of those things where, man, the Internet saved me, you know, between podcasts and YouTube and, and just being able to find the information you needed, you know, and, and the technology itself for solar itself. You know, it's come such a long way that, you know, you couldn't do this, you know, the way we're doing it now, you know, 30 years ago. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's the old story of the husband asked the wife, why do you always cut the end off the roast? And she doesn't know because mom did it. So they call mom and mom doesn't know because grandma always did it. So they call grandma and grandma says, well, the pan wasn't big enough for the roast to fit in. (laughs) So for three generations, they were doing what grandma did, but nobody ever asked grandma why she did it. And that, that is interesting about the time we live in, how much faster people can move. As far as the demographic of the audience, I think we have Zoomers to Boomers. 
Oh yeah, wow! I think yeah. We have it all. We have it all across the board. Um, I mean, even the workshops where people come here uh, for a week once a year, we we do a live workshop at my farm. Um, we'll, we'll have people that are, you know, some people. I usually say no kids, and I'll get mm-hmm. the guy like, "Well, can I bring my 16 year old?" Like, if you buy them a ticket, and if you get a ticket when we put them on sale, and if you accept the fact that there's going to be foul language and stuff like that, and we're not going to adopt, then sure. So we'll have, you know, a 16-year-old, and we'll have a 75-year-old. Oh, cool, yeah. Everything bookend, and which is great because then you get that multi-generational uh, wisdom sharing. And that, that's, a, that's a huge thing because, you know, you get the little old man out here, and he's done seeing it all before, and he goes, well, if you do that, this is what's going to happen. And right, you can right. do that, but if you're going to do that, then you should do this first. And that, that's it's interesting to watch. We think of our, our younger generation not really caring what older people say, but – when they actually want to accomplish something and they realize they're talking to somebody with wisdom, you see that kid taking notes. Right. And that's one of the coolest things about what we do. Yeah. Uh, by the way, everybody, y'all should follow, follow Dwayne. I'm going to bring up his uh, YouTube channel later, but on Instagram, he is off grit, O F F underscore G R I T. Uh, so definitely if you're on Instagram, follow him. Thank you. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. What? Oh, my turn? Okay, yeah, no, I was going to yeah, a little feedback here or uh, a delay. Anyways, I was going to say, yeah, to add to that, one of the things that I, I also have learned with the younger generation is that they have so much information but no life experience. Mm. So that's a problem sometimes you see, you know, with my own kids and stuff. It's like they got the answer for everything, but at the same time, you know, on the flip side of that, they don't have the life experience to go with the information. So sometimes that's where, you know, I think we, we cross wires sometimes because it's just like you said, that older gentleman, he's been he's lived it. You know, the stuff he's talking about and, and where they pick it up off of YouTube or where Google, they may not know how to apply that information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I remember my grandpa used to say, I forgot more than you know. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> he wasn't wrong. We talked a lot about what you liked and, 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 and me as well. There's a lot to love about homesteading. What is your least favorite thing about homesteading? Whew, my least favorite thing. That's a, that's a, I would say my least favorite thing lately has just been just the grind itself. Like my body's tired a lot. I mean, that part's never fun. I mean, I'd be lying if I said that was always fun. You know, I mean, there's a lot of work digging holes. I would say is like my least favorite thing. Anybody at homesteads knows this. I mean, I swear, like when I started homesteading, I was like, man, 50% of this is digging holes. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I'm just thinking I got to go dig. Like I grew up the son of a coal miner. Oh, and I left coal country because I didn't want to make a living with a shovel. And now I'm a podcaster and I probably do more physical work with a shovel than any other physical work I do. I, and uh, that, but that makes me think like one of the things I have to do, I've got a pipe that I had shut off one side of the property from irrigation because we don't need it in the winter. And mm-hmm. I turned it back on yesterday and I went over to, you know, to, to use the hose that I had turned on and right next to it was all wet. And I'm oh. like, God oh, damn it. And I look and there's water bubbling up out of the ground. So now I got to, now you got to dig a hole and work on a pipe in a hole that's already in the hole. And it's like one inch. So it doesn't flex like that. sucks. Uh-huh. And that's what I hate most, but it's not digging. It's I have a plan to do a thing and I have the time to do the thing. And I'm actually excited to get the thing done. And mm-hmm. now something is broken. And the time that I had to dedicate to the new thing 
it's not going to happen. It has to be dedicated to fixing, repairing, whatever the old thing. Because if I don't fix the old thing, something's going to die. Because if the old thing, nothing's going to die if it can wait. Well, then I do the thing I have planned. But when right. it's like, oh, see, so if I want to move the animals over there, they're going to need water. They're not going to have water, so they'll die. Well, now mm-hmm. I got to do it. And that's like the the backpedaling. And that's why I've gotten more and more locked down of how do I do this thing so it never breaks? So it never has to be touched again. Because yeah. then you don't have to backpedal to, to do that stuff. And I, and you're absolutely right, uh, Jack. That's That's something that I didn't even think about, but you articulated it well. And that's that. I've learned that lesson out here that it's always better. And my dad used to say the same thing, you know, it'd be like, do the job right. right the first time. Right. And you heard that mantra so much growing up. And now I absolutely 150% want to do the job right the first time because I realized how much time I had wasted by not doing it right the first time. And that is yeah, it's 100% correct, you know, and sometimes even when you do the job right, it doesn't matter. Like you said, you can, you know, I, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, but that really does suck about homesteading is that, yeah, I got so much stuff going on out here and, and so many hats I got to put on, you know, for some reason, say my BMS shut down my batteries or something, you know, I got to stop what I'm doing. I have to figure that out. So, you know, I got to go and take a look at what's going on. All right, phew, that was nothing, but I just got sidetracked. So now I got to figure out, okay, what was it I was doing again? <laughs> and, yeah. And that's part of the reason why, like when I'm out here, I have a bunch of different structures up and then you, you'll come out and you'll look at them and you'd be like, okay, well, they're not done yet. Well, the reason I do it that way, and I've heard you say this on your podcast before, it's not good to start a project and not finish it. You should do that. And that's yeah. the advice I would give somebody a hundred percent. But the way I do it is, I'll do the building structures and then say the outside of the buildings need stucco. So I want to do all the stucco at the same time. Okay. That's that, that makes sense. You're batching your work. Right. So yeah, I bash the work together. And so that's, that's the reason why I do it that way, because that way I don't get sidetracked in it. And otherwise, you know, otherwise I'm setting up, tearing down, you know, to do a job. And then I start getting sidetracked a lot easier. And I found that if I just batch everything together, say, all right, this month I'm doing stucco, you okay. know, that's, that's what I'm going to be doing. So I try to do it, but it doesn't and at always the end of that month. You know what you are? You're a badass stucco guy. You can exactly. do stucco forever for the rest of your life. You're good it, at it. Exactly. And that's by design too, because that's what I learned was that the more muscle memory you have doing something continuously, and repetition, 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 you know, you get better at it other than starting and stopping. I mean, even when I weld to this day, I will take a scrap piece of metal and I will do a couple of stringers on it just to get myself warmed up before I mess around with that piece, you know, because only you throw a couple balls before you start counting points, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, I've been welding for years. So, but I still do that, you know, that's like a routine. And I, and even with stucco, like you said, I'm, I'm not, and that's another thing, like I'm not a professional at anything that I'm doing, you know, and, and so that's, that's part of it is like, okay, I might put on a plumber's hat, but I'm not a plumber. So for me, there's a learning curve to everything I'm doing out here uh, for the most part, aside from welding. And so I have to, sometimes it's going to take me a lot longer to do that job. And I have to sit and figure out, okay, what are the steps to do this? And so what I found was like like by batching things together is that it, it allowed me to spend more time on that that particular skill 
and, and do it for a longer period of time. And then, like you said, by the end of the month, you're like, man, I got some hours in it stuck. Over. Wax on, wax off, Daniel song, right? <laughs> like it really is, right? Uh, because like there really is three types of work on a homestead. Mm-hmm. There is daily things, daily or maybe it's a weekly thing, but there's a scheduled chores. It's not really fixing anything. It's the, the birds get let out every day. They get fed every day. The the, the during the growing season, you weed the garden once a week or once every once twice a week, so that you don't wait three weeks and hate your life. Like there's an <laughs> ongoing, you know, there's a harvest season and there's like stuff that you just have to do. And right. then there's project work, which is I want a new thing, a fence over here, an outbuilding, a new irrigation system, right? And so we classify that work that way. And then we have what we just talked about, the shit work. That's that's this thing broke, and if I don't fix it, no one's going to. And either something's going to die today, next week, or I'm really going to be screwed by winter, so I better fix it now. Mm-hmm. And so you have to think about your work that way. And because the project work can be deferred to a point, unless you're really counting on it, like for a seasonal change or something. Mm-hmm. The, the daily work cannot. Like, right. if you don't feed your animals, if you don't water them in the desert, they will die. They're living creatures they every day. And repair work almost inevitably is critical because you've already put it in place. So that means you're relying on it. And now it's not there. Then you have like the one I just described where like I've shut this thing off and it worked when I turned it off. And when I turned it back on, and I'm sure I know exactly what happened there. It's a ground shifting. My soils Mm -hmm. are so shallow. It's a sepo in a joint. And since I'm not the one that actually glued that pipe, it's a very good possibility there's a straight coupler down there that was never glued. It was dry fit, and the guy oh. had to do it for me. Didn't glue it. I, I, and if it if it's the case, it's the longest one ever lasted because it's been in the ground seven years. Wow. Yeah. And I, I, I still bet that when I go down there, there'll be nothing on it because I know this guy and I know how he half-assed things. <laughs> so. is, it, is that like your? You said uh, I heard you say that you were having a bad week, and you said it comes in threes. Now, is that no, your- that's not it. No, I got stung by a freaking wasp. Okay, that was that is my third one, but my, it just didn't involve yeah. any physical injury to me. Sunday, oh. the dog took me out. So I have a new yeah, dog, I heard that. Year old, and I'm working with her. On, she can't be trusted off the leash with the livestock, but I'm, I'm training her anyway. Like both of my other dogs, I can take them out with me at night, put the birds in, and if they're being obnoxious, they will literally herd them into the, the coop. So I <laughs> made her do it. She did so good. I praised her and I walked out the gate and I let her behind me without washing her. And she was happy that she did good and she was playing and she's a little Malinois. She's about 60 pounds, but oh, she wow. got feed and she hit me in the back of my freaking knee. Oh man. And Ouch. I mean, it was bad enough. It, it ended up not being that bad, but it was like, it hurt enough that I'm like, I don't want to ha- take another hit. If she jerks me or something, I called my wife and had her come get the dog so that I didn't have to walk her back in. Wow. And then the next day I was working on one of my uh, wicking beds uh-huh. And the red wasps are everywhere right now. They're all, it's spring. They're out, they're out hunting and they're mm-hmm. great. They're not aggressive, but if you squish one, they'll sting you. And they're mm-hmm. big freaking wasps. Yeah. And I leaned on one fixing a wicking bed and it, it felt like somebody took a hot poker and shoved it into my liver. Cause it bit me right about there. And, uh, yeah. and it was enough that it made the head do a little, like almost like when you, you take a, a, a glazing lance to your chin, it doesn't knock you out, but it makes you ring. Yeah. Ah, damn it. So I was afraid I was gonna get hurt yesterday. Oh, and I made it through the day. Nothing bad happened. So I guess I broke the chain. All right, good man. Knock on wood. So yeah, that's. But that that's how it is. I mean, and that brings up another point is that 
you know, I guess one of the things that I've had to learn out here is that I'm trying to learn to do things work smarter and not harder sometimes because I realize that I am aging and that I'm not going to be able to do things at the capacity I'm doing mm-hmm. that forever. So with my designs and, you know, I have that in mind too, to say, okay, I don't want to have to, you know, getting a tractor, for example. I mean, that was just something that was saving my body, you know, <laughs> because it was just, it was like, man, I'm going to be digging so many damn holes out here. You know, I'm getting a backhoe because I, I need something to help me dig here because I, I'm sick and tired of digging these holes. Um, you know, or it just, just even like designing my house, it was like, all right, I want to, I don't want to have a bunch of steps and stuff that I got to climb up and down because if I plan on being here long term, you know, I guess, you know, you just kind of have to plan for the future a little bit sometimes and also realize that, you know, sometimes it is better to work smarter and not necessarily, you know, always like I always relate everything to physical because I've worked physical labor my whole life and everything. But but I'm getting to a point now where I see the other side of that and saying, yeah, you know, sometimes it's better to work smarter. You know, or maybe yeah. maybe figure out a more scientific way to do this or, you know, that kind of thing. But that's yeah. back to something else I hate is when you get an injury and it incapacitates your ability to do things that you normally could just do. Yes. But the upside of that is it does put you in touch with the fact, you know, I'm over 50 and mm-hmm. I need to think about the fact that one day I'm going to be tooling around out here. I'm going to be 65, 75. Mm-hmm. And I need to build things so that 75 year old Jack can do them. Right. And not just can do them, but will enjoy doing them. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's you know, people. Like, oh, you'll be in shape at seventy-five. I pro- if I don't die, I probably will. Uh, sure. Try to live a pretty healthy lifestyle, but it takes mm-hmm. one you know dog taking your knee out, and that ended up being bad. But a few years ago, I hurt my knee really bad, oh, man. and I limped for three months, and that put a damper on everything. About a year and a half ago, I popped an Achilles tendon. Fortunately, it didn't fully pop, and it was able to heal, but. I mean, stuff like that just makes everything so much harder. Yes. And I think when we have that happen to us, we need to do two things. Assess, like, is there anything I could have done to prevent it so that it doesn't happen again? But then right. the other thing is, what does this teach me about the fact that I am a mortal being mm-hmm. and I ain't going to live forever? And you guys out there, because I mentioned we have, like, Zoomers to Boomers. You guys right. out there that are, like, 25, 26, and you're kind of tuning out the old men right now, don't do it. Because nope. your extended warranty is fixing to run out. You, yes, you're, you're, when you're 39, you turn 40, it's like nothing happened. Like 40 to 42, you start getting the phone calls. We understand your your extended warranty's worn out, except you can't buy a new one. It doesn't right. exist, right? Like shit that yeah. you would have recovered from in a week, you still recover from, but it takes a month. Yep. Yeah, it, it's true. I mean, it's. That's probably, um, I was just reading something the other day, one of the homesteading people I follow and, uh, her husband came down with some type of, uh, illness and they're in the middle of building a house right now, you know, and they were, they were doing rammed earth and, and something happened. They, you know, he ended up going to the doctor and he's, you know, he doesn't seem like he's that old, but, but that's, that's the reality check, you know, and I, I do live with that in my head. I try not to think too much about her. I'd just be miserable, but you know, just, just, to realize that, hey, man, just enjoy this while you can, because you never know, you know, you, you know, you hope that you're going to get to that point, but you don't know for sure. And, you know, just treat your body as good as you can. And that's one of the things I do is I do live a very healthy lifestyle. And, you know, I do it for multiple reasons, but really because 
I want to be able to do this as long as possible. So part of homesteading that is, is that it's super healthy. It's a, it can be a very healthy lifestyle if you let it be, you know, and, and I think like for me growing my own food, that's, that's what I'm working on now. And being able to process my own chickens, being able to, to, you know, have my own eggs and, and do the physical labor that I want to do, you know, up to the capacity that I want to do it. And then, you know, from there I can let a machine do the rest. But yeah, it, it can be a very healthy lifestyle. You know, yeah, I, I agree. And I'm all for the physical part of it. But yeah, automation is great because yeah, what would you do if you didn't have to do it? And the answer is I'd do all of it. And yeah, so everything you can automate. And even if it 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 functionally fails, if you built it, well, you know how to fix it. And the time that it saves you, even if you have to repair something once every few years, it's totally worth automation. Like my big thing with my irrigation this year, I went with very low tech automation. It mm -hmm. doesn't start itself, but it stops itself. I'm using those little mechanical like egg timer style irrigation yep. timers. And yep. I plumb them into whatever irrigation leg I have. And then when I walk by and I this to be done today, turn it 20 minutes, walk away, and it's done. And I know that because I've used them before. That timer will fail two to three years out. It will just stop working. So I keep a few on the shelf, and I've designed them with the little screw adapters, like male-female adapters on both sides of half inch. So they're hard line plumbed in. It takes two minutes to swap one out. And I know I can still do that when I'm 75. If I can see, I'll be able to do it, you know. Right, right. And, and so, like, the more we can do like that, the better. Um, and there's, I would tell you, like, you're right about how podcasting, videos, blogs, all these workshops that, frankly, if it wasn't for the videos and the blogs and social media and the podcast, nobody would be at them. And mm -hmm. so now we have all these, like, real-life events where people are getting together it, it, there's more homesteading and things in this vein that I think there's been since people did it because they had to. Right. In right. the past, people did all this stuff because if you didn't do it, you didn't eat and you died. So people don't like dying. So they did this stuff. Right. Now people have kind of re like as we got, we went through like the, the you're a Gen X, or I could tell by looking at you, right? Like we went through a time when we literally thought we were one decade from the Jetsons. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. For about 25, 30 years, every kid that grew up in our time thought, well, by the time I'm an adult, right? Yeah. You know, back to the future, you know. It's, yeah, it'll be it'll be spacely sprockets and uh, whatever the other one was, Cogswell cogs, and you know, mm -hmm. it will have everything and hover drives and and, whatever. and and that didn't happen. And then there was an empty hole, and then people kind of went, "Wait a minute, what did our grandparents do?" Mm -hmm. And then they found that it wasn't just because you had to, but what it brought to your life. So, with with that in mind, what do you think the future holds for like the entire? homesteading thing Ooh, yeah that, that's a tough one i mean if i'm being completely honest um my personal opinion is i think that it's corporations and and the powers that be are just going to keep trying to take away our ability to do anything for ourselves you know and and that's what i see i mean i just see like you know, I think we have to fight that, you know, you have to fight that by constantly what you're doing. And that's one of the reasons why I put myself out of my comfort zone by going on a podcast. I don't do this kind of stuff. But for me, I was like, you know, if you really care about this, you should advocate for this lifestyle because, you know, we want to become more self-sufficient as, as a, as a species, you know, like I think it's important to be that way, you know, just for the basics 
Um, the future of it, I think technology is going to just make things better and better. I mean, that's the way it's been. I mean, look at solar now. You know, like I said, I talked to people back in the day, and yeah, solar wasn't even an option, not at this capacity. You know, and I think yeah. I think technology is just going to, you know, for the better or worse. I mean, there's going to be some technological advances that just will probably make this lifestyle a little more comfortable <laughs> doing it the way I'm doing. So. Yeah, I think 3D printers, for example, you know, you look at those things now and the, the implications those are having for people and, and what people can do with them. So that's my hope. Yeah, think about 3D printers for somebody like you. So the most expensive, for example, PVC fitting that you will <laughs> ever buy is the one you don't have when you need it. Yeah, yep, yep. you got to go get it. So it's a 75 cent specialty coupler. You thought you had two more in the box. They're not there. Ask me how I know. And yeah. for me, I have to drive 15 minutes to Lowe's and mm -hmm. hopefully they have one. Or then I got to drive another 10 minutes to Home Depot and back. You probably have to go a little bit further. Yeah, so yeah. it's over Economically, for 75 cents, you're not going to print that specialty coupler. But if it's a dollar and you don't have to go anywhere, it's a dollar well spent in, in, in media. And yeah. so that type of one-off specialty thing and somebody probably already had the problem on Thingverse, and you can go there and grab a file and stick it in and go do your other thing that broke and come back, you know, 12 hours later, and there's your thing. Yeah, I got to get one of those. You know? Yeah, I got I to get one of those. I don't, I don't have one yet. Do you have one? I do. I do. I'm not good with it yet, but I, I can do that. I can go to Thingiverse, and I can get a thing, and I can put it on a memory card, and I can stick it in, and I can go print, and it'll make it. That's and so that, cool. That is like, it's pretty cool. The other thing I think that might really happen with technology that nobody's talking about yet is like this artificial intelligence stuff. Like people are mm -hmm. using it to write copy and all. I played with it. It's actually kind of impressive what it'll do, but uh -huh. it'll solve programming problems. So I'm not ever going to be a programmer, but I envision we'll get to a point like people use Adrenos and Raspberry Pis and stuff where you'll be able to tell the thing what you have, mm -hmm. tell the thing what you wanted to do. And it will be able to issue the command line prompts or the programming code and say, here it is. And then you put it on a card, you stick it in your system, and then, like, it'll set all your timers or whatever. Yeah, yeah. We'll get there. And it, even that, for me and you, we might be like, that's too hard. But the kids, that'll be easy for them. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. I, I think it's going to go that direction, and I think it'll be – you know, a smarter person will, will pick up on that and utilize that stuff. And, you know, like I've seen homesteads that are using 3D printers now. And I've, I've seen, uh, I just saw a guy on, it was one of those TikTok or something, but he built a um, vertical garden with his 3D printer. Oh, yeah. You see yeah. that? Yeah, it was like I didn't see that, but there's all kinds of stuff on Thingverse. It's just a site where people share code. Yeah, and there's all kinds of stuff that like fit together and make vertical gardens and their aquaponics things and hydroponics yep. things. Yeah, it it was like I think he said he spent like twenty four dollars on the on the the materials, you know. And it's like you you look and you price those things, and it's like of course you need the lights and all, but but anyways, yeah, I I I gotta get one. <laughs> now I'm talking yeah. about it. I want to go look and look them up. So yeah, yeah, that's that's the next one I gotta convince my wife that I need to have it. Ooh, this is interesting here. Carl says the tech for using your cell phone as a 3D scanner is getting better, too. So then we're getting into a role where I have one. I need another one. 
and I can scan it with my phone into a program, stick it into my printer, and my printer will make it. Or yeah. I need one that's mirrored and flipped around like an image in a mirror, and I can just go mirror image and print the reverse. Wow. So I break the left angle, and I need the right angle. I take a picture of the left angle in 3D, and it makes me the right – like that kind of stuff is coming, and it is that's exciting. I do agree with you, too, though, that the government does not want a self-sufficient, self-reliant uh, civilization because then nope. it's not dependent, and then it's not easily controlled. But I think that the decentralized nature of all, like everything we're talking about is decentralized yep. and your lifestyle is decentralized. You're not in, like if they pass a law that affects the city you used to live in, you don't give two shits. Nope. Like you not. might, you might, uh, what sort of em- empathy, you have some empathy for those people, but you personally don't care. Right. And right. how to, like, even if they pass a law and said you had to do a thing, you're like, okay, sure. Right. Yeah. Sure. Thanks, guys. Thanks for letting me know that. I'm sure I'll take care of that right now. Piss off. And I had a show I did yesterday with John and Nicole, Mm -hmm. uh, John Willis from SOE Tactical Gear. And he was bringing up the same thing about this infiltration into rural America and trying to get their hands around it. And it makes me think I probably need to do a show about, and you're a case study in this, of defensible property. Like, and what I mean by that is not, I said yesterday, it's not, you know, two dudes that were Navy SEALs up in turrets. It's <laughs> how do I live in a place and in a way where no matter what they say, I really don't care. Even right. if they say I have to do it, I'm just, again, like, that's, that's nice, boys. That's really good. I'll send you a card on Christmas and bye-bye. Right. And, and, and being strategic, like, you went way out. Mm-hmm. I went, like, I just look at the place I live and go, you can't, you can't afford to do it. It's, it's, it's too, it's too expensive for even the state to do. Right. And I think there's a lot of different ways to crack that nut, mm-hmm. but I do see a lot of people that I go, yeah, you're going to get eaten by a suburb. Right. Like they're just not in a defensible position and that urban sprawl. And I have people in the audience who I've, I've watched it happen to over the last 10 years. Like, it literally like like an amoeba go around or like a white blood cell go around them. And, yeah. and they're they're holding the line. But, you know, you wonder how long they can hold that line. Right. Yeah. It, just, it sucks. I mean, it, it's I guess for me, like, I, I guess uh, ignorance is bliss sometimes because I just being out here away from everything. It's like it, it is real easy to kind of like turn my brain off to anything like that and just live in my little world and just be happy with, with what I'm doing. But, but yeah, I, I mean, I do think about those concerns and think about my kids and, you know, their kids and think, man, what, what a, you know, I want this, I pass this on to them somewhat, at least to learn things and constantly be learning and not just, you know, I think that's a big part of homesteading. It's just, it's the learning part. You know, you're constantly learning to be self-sufficient and self-sufficiency to me can be anything from what I'm doing to changing the oil in your car, you know, and, and learning things like that. Or, you know, I've had to pick up a wrench a couple times out here. I don't like wrenching. I hate it. But it's something that I'm forced to do to learn how to do. So, you know, for me, you know, I've said even people living in an apartment, well, grow microgreens, mm-hmm. grow mushrooms, mm-hmm. you know, start doing research. You know, I mean, there, there's always something you can do. So, you know, it just, it all just depends. But yeah, I, I agree with you, man. It's, it's gonna, I don't know what the future holds for that, but it doesn't look good. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think it's another reason we need to be teaching the Zoomers and the millennials because 
their plan right now is not to come after you and I any more than they they can like the easy layups. It's mm-hmm. to let us die. Mm-hmm. And they just figure the younger generation will just think, oh, those old guys are stupid. Yeah, and yeah. Just cycle back the other way. But I, I actually see, I see more young people jumping into this than I see middle-aged people jumping into this. And I, I think one of the things we need to keep reiterating with our youth is, you know, I grew up in a time like this isn't new for me. Like the last 15 years aren't new for me. It's just I kind of mm-hmm. came back to my roots. I grew up when everybody did it. And mm-hmm. there's this weird ethos out there that doing all this stuff's expensive mm-hmm. and, well, and nothing may be free, but it's not expensive because the reason we all did it back in the seventies and eighties is because we were poor. Right. Poor people don't do things that are expensive. Right. And, and this is before every, every other day a new credit card showed up in your box. So if you did something and it cost money, it was cash money on the barrel. As my granddad used to say, you had to do it. And yet we did it. And if it took, 10 years to get a system in place, you did it because you had it for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that, that older guys like you and I, we need to be handed down to these young people is if I had taken this, if I had never left my roots, even if I went off and did the corporate thing and all and took that money, if I had invested, if I started investing in that when I was 21, mm-hmm. I would be so much further along today than, than even I am. Right. And, and when you're young, what you have is your youth and you should use it while you have it. Because we had somebody here saying, you know, when they turned 40, it didn't really hit them. And, and several of us said, it, just wait, <laughs> you're close. It will. The extended warranty will wear out and there'll never be a time that you can work the way you can work between about 21 and about 35 to 38, in my opinion, like those are your years that you can like I can work and I know I can work a lot of young people on the ground. But a young person that's used to work will mm-hmm. kill me. They right. will flat out kill me. I, I don't even try to keep up with them. Yeah, I don't step into an MMA gym. You know, I would get I would get clobbered. You know, like you said, these younger guys, it's just it's a different it's a young man's game. So, yeah, I agree. And, yeah, someone had said something that, you know, the younger generations, you know, they, they're kind of tired of us telling telling them and asking them what the hell they're doing and that kind of thing and, you know, preaching. But, you know, I, I tell you, being on the other side of it now, I, I look, we all think the same thing. The only difference I would say is, and I'm preaching and there's probably people a lot older than me laughing at me, but I'm just yeah. saying, that, look, we've all been 18, but an 18-year-old has not been 46 you know, so so I guess that's the main difference is that, you know, like I've been already 18. So, yes, it's different. But at the same time, we've we've experienced that. So it's like some of the like I said, having bunches of information, but no life experience. That's yeah. where it gets you, you know, is that that you you tend you don't want to become ignorant. You know, that's what I that's what I tell my my son, you know, just, you know, keep learning, stay humble. Don't become ignorant. It doesn't, yeah. that's not an age thing, man. That's just anybody, you know, you don't be willfully ignorant, especially, yeah. you know, you become there, ignorant. Mm-hmm. the other side of it is two things. One, we need to be a little bit more honest, uh, our, our age bracket. We did all the stupid shit you guys did too. There just wasn't Instagram and, and all this other and, and Twitter and, and not, nobody had a camera phone, let alone everybody. There's right. just no, there's no pho- photographic or videographic record of our stupidity. Right, right. And if, yeah. if it is, it's on a 110 individual picture, and it costs $2 to make a copy of it back then, right? So so we, we did the dumb shit, too. And then the other side is 
there is a value in youthful ignorance if the person is sufficiently motivated because they'll go try shit we won't. And mm-hmm. sometimes they make it work. That's where innovation comes from. There's not a lot of us innovating. We're more like cobbling together two things. That's an innovation. We take A and B and put it together and make it work and do a new right. thing. It's the youth that go, hold on. What if I you know, did some kind of crazy shit with a computer and made this code and it did everything for you? We're not the ones that are going to do that. And, and the older you get, the less likely you are to do that. So there is value in that exuberance that you have as a young person. Yeah, that that's a, that's a truth. Yeah, that's a fact. You're right. Yep. Yeah. The the confidence of youth and the the energy, you know, that that you bring to something and the enthusiasm. You know, you tend to get jaded too when you get older a little bit about certain things, so you don't have the same um enthusiasm you know as a younger person has and sometimes i miss that you know where i get overly excited about something to the point where that can push me through it where yeah. now it's just like dread sometimes yeah. <laughs> like oh dude i gotta start over on this shit again you yeah. know and then you're just like man i'm so tired of this but 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 yeah i agree now we do learn things as older people so is there any particular failures or mistakes you've made that really taught you a lesson, like don't do that again or do it differently? Yeah, um, this is about procrastination. And I had to think about this because there's not just one, there's a lot. But but this one specifically was a procrastination issue that I had. And I learned at homesteading, don't ever procrastinate. Um, I had procrastinated the building that's behind me in this picture for you all that can't see it. I had this uh, earth bag building. And we moved out to the property right at the beginning of monsoon season. Now, you have to realize that we had been in a drought for years prior to this. So we had weren't getting rain at all. Like last monsoon, we got nothing. So I just went with the assumption that, oh, it's not going to rain. So I did not put a, um, a levee up around the door of this earth bag building thinking I had time. And I wow. procrastinated on it. And, of course, the big flood came and flooded the whole damn building. I had stuff inside it that got ruined. It was a mess. It really was. And it was like my welcome to homesteading moment, you know, where it was just like, hey, Mother Nature doesn't give a shit about what your plans are. You know, she's going to do what she's going to do. And so, uh, yeah, that was my very first lesson about procrastinating and not waiting to do something. You know, always get it done. If it's on your list and it, and I've learned that lesson multiple times out here because I'm just like everybody else. Sometimes it takes four or five, you know, kicks to the groin for you to figure it out. And then you go, you know what? I think I'm going to get gas today instead of waiting for tomorrow because I might get flooded in here and I won't be able to leave. And now I won't have gas for my generator or I won't have gas for my tractor or whatever the case. So, so yeah, that's what I learned, you know? No, I agree with that. My big thing is like I'll usually have a project I'm working on for a week or a day or whatever or two or three things in a given day that need to get done. And if it's two or three things, the first thing I look at is, OK, number again, back to will something die? Assuming nothing's going to die. Which one of these do I want to do the least? That's a good that's a good way. Right? And whichever one I want to do the least, it goes first on the list because I know it's a downhill run after I do the one I'm least excited about doing or I'm you know worried maybe it won't work or whatever like I'll have to get through it and then since I'm through it then the other ones I'll just knock off and if it's a project I'll even also break that down like sometimes you have to do things in a linear order but a lot of times I could do this piece or this piece which one sucks more 
Mm-hmm. The suck part goes first because then you get enthusiastic. As you remove the suck, you get enthusiastic about closing, right? You know? Yeah. yeah. And that is the same thing. It's, it's a way of dealing with procrastination. I'm not bad about procrastinating about the big picture. I'm bad about procrastinating, procrastinating. Like if I'm doing Nicole Sauce's three things, like these are my three things that are going to get done today, putting the shitty one last and then finding something else to do. And then that one went to tomorrow. Always. And so by always doing the shit work first, back when I was in sales, the worst part of the day was cold calling. Oh, so yeah. I started cold calling at eight o'clock in the morning. I know cold calling. Yeah, I had right. a couple. Then my ten. Okay, I did my two hours of cold calling day. I'm gonna go work on bids. I'm gonna go visit a client, like whatever. And that was knocked out. Where if you said, "Well, I'll cold call at the end of the day," and came up with some bullshit, I'll cold call after lunch because that's where when everybody comes back, you can justify it. But then, you know, a client will call and they need something, and now I can't cold call a day, and I'm not building my funnel. So I took that from a totally different world and brought it here because it is the same thing. We always put off the pieces and parts we don't really feel like doing. And they always end up being kind of the ones that we most need to get done. Yep. No, you're right. It's so funny you say it because I was just telling my wife this uh, about my new schedule. Now, now that it's warming up, I go, yeah, first thing I do in the morning is I fill sandbags. She's like, well, why would you do that? I was like, because I hate it. It's it's the worst thing I have to do during the day. And exactly. The human mind is very good at doing that, you know, of of finding ways to make excuses. And and you'll find one if there's an excuse to be had, no matter how disciplined you are. You know, if you like you said, if you wait till the end of the day to do the sucky thing, that's why working out at the gym for certain people, they do go in the morning because Mm -hmm. of that, because they're going to they know that that they're going to just make an excuse later on. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, back when I didn't have physical activity built in my life, that's what I did. I'd go on the way to the office or whatever because, one, it was done, so you yep. would not do it. But, two, I think it kind of like you were ready for the day now, man. You, you, you'd do anything, you know. Yeah. Amped up. So, you want to tell people – I mean, we we burned up an hour and 20 here. You want to tell people about your, uh, your YouTube channel and how they can learn more about you? Yes. Thank you very much for that. Um, yeah. So I've been documenting my stuff on my YouTube channel. It's off grit with a T. And the reason I spelled it grit is because we felt that that's an attribute that you need to to live this lifestyle grit. And so that that's where I've been documenting most of my stuff. Um, not a super good YouTuber yet, but um, and I try to get rid of all the fluff. So when you watch my videos, it's just going to be pretty simple stuff, but that's where I'm doing it. And then also you can find me on Instagram, same off grit. I'm pretty active on there as well. So uh, yeah, those are the two main ones. And I'll make sure I have links for everybody for you in today's show notes. This was a great conversation, man. Uh, Oh, for coming on. And you had a a group called, uh, was it Per? Paragraphic just came out and did a documentary on your homestead. I'll I'll put that link in the show notes as well. That'll be on the audio side, guys, not the video notes, because I have to put everything together after this interview's done. I don't know where he went. I didn't I didn't drop him out. Um, uh, but I'll I'll get that up for you guys just as soon as possible, and uh, we'll get the audio side up. You can go over there. You can get links to all of this stuff and. Uh, for those that are on audio, he just disappeared. I don't think I knocked him off, but uh, it was a great guest, guys, and uh, we will wrap up. Uh, tomorrow, I got an episode that's actually going to be on Bitcoin. We moved Bitcoin breakout to Thursday because we had John and Nicole this Tuesday. 
And then Friday, the expert council will be back in action. I'll catch up with you then. And with that, I'll sign off the live stream. I have to say, there's there's different kinds of shows when I get done that I'm really happy about. This is the kind where when I get done, I feel like I learned something, the guests learned something, the audience learned something. But more than that, it was a great conversation. And I really, really enjoy shows like this. I think some of our best interviews are with people that are not trying to sell something. They don't have a company. They don't have an e-course. They're just a person doing the thing. And in Dwayne's case, also recording his attempts to do the thing so that others learn from it. True heart of a teacher wants other people to be able to succeed and just making a go of it and learning as he goes. Uh, absolutely inspiring. And again, showing that, you know, this guy is a little bit younger than me, but not much. Way late in life, according to a lot of people, makes this massive shift in his life and makes a go of it. And it means that you can do it when you're 20, you can do it when you're 40, you can do it when you're 60. There's different strengths and weaknesses at all points in those different demographics. But as I always said, if you can fog a mirror, you're not done yet. So figure out what it is you want out of the rest of your life, whether you got 80 years or 20 years, and go do it because you ain't getting no more. I think that's a lesson you should take away from today's show. With that, if you want to support this show, I talked in the beginning about the MSB. That's a good way to do it, dealing with our sponsors. But another way you can do it is just do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Guys, I'll tell you what. If it's there, I own it. I, I spent my money on it. I wouldn't tell you to spend your money on it. Today's item of the day is not really an item of the day. It's more of a pricing alert on an awesome uh, tool combo kit from DeWalt. It is a DeWalt drill, a DeWalt impact driver, two batteries, a battery charger, and a little bag they send with everything to keep it in. This is not their top-end, like, brushless, super high-end drill combo kit, but it's it's a good kit. It's not the bottom-end either. It's kind of the middle. 160 bucks. Two batteries, a charger, a drill, and an impact driver. I see this kit, I mean, I'm on the edge of buying them all myself, but I don't quite fit into the two categories. One, you're not in the DeWalt to, the tool set yet. You want to get into DeWalt. You don't want to spend too much money going in. You need a base. Impact driver and drill, uh, you know, I would add to that a reciprocating saw. And, and they'll, that, that is the, the tools that I use the most on a daily basis or a weekly basis on my, on my property. And you want that soft entry. This is a good way to get into DeWalt tools. The other would be the people already on the DeWalt platform. You kind of got your stuff together, but who, who can't use an extra drill and an impact driver, some batteries, and a charger? Uh, pretty much anybody. That's why I have three drills, two impact drivers, and lots of chargers and batteries. And if I didn't have three drills and two impact drivers already, I would I would buy this set today myself at this price. Again, $159. Call it $160. Uh, uh, drill impact driver combo kit. Check it out. You can find it in the show notes today or just go to survivalpodcast.com and scroll down. You'll see it featured. You can always find all my product reviews, recommendations, special deals, etc. at tspaz.com where if you start your shopping there, no matter what you buy, you do help us out even if it's not something I've reviewed. So please, when you're going to buy something online, start at tspaz.com. With that, I have wrapped things up today. I also do want to remind you Paul Wheaton has a Kickstarter launching next week. I'll have more info for that on that for you tomorrow and Friday. But if you're on my daily mail, you've got it already. It's in today's show notes as well. You can read my write-up on it. You want to get on the notification list for this 
So when he launches it next week, you can back it for at least one measly dollar because you get like over $100 worth of stuff by backing it for a dollar. And then when you see what it is, you're going to want to back it for more so you get what it is as well. It is a low-tech lab movie series that is going to talk about all the projects from all the experts that have taught at his Permaculture Skills Jamboree. It is probably going to be the best Kickstarter he's ever done, as well as the last one did. I predict, and I told Bo his his PA, I think this will do better. I think it will do better because it's that freaking awesome. Uh, Check that out. And remember, Nicole Sauce has the Self-Reliance Festival coming up in Camden, Tennessee. Link for that in today's show notes as well. You want to know more about that, so please check it out. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help me figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house. The American way Dollar down, a dollar a month And you never have to pay There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way